You're listening to the Pipeline Show with. If one of y'all says some silly ass name, this whole class is gonna peel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Son of a bitch. Back on the Pipeline Show, and we're going to continue on with our Ask the Commish segments that we've been doing uh, all throughout July. We've had Jill Courteau on from the Q uh, last week, Ron Robinson from the WHL the week before. We've had Kevin Abrams from the uh, CJHL on, and uh, plans for other commissioners as well. But uh, great pleasure to uh, speak with the commissioner of the Ontario Hockey League, and I would say the CHL as well, but boy, that's changing pretty soon. Uh, David Branch, uh, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. David, how are you? I'm excellent. Excellent. Good to talk to you once again. Uh, pleasure as always to uh, get a chance to speak with you. And maybe we'll start there. The the whole uh, CHL president uh, situation. You, you guys are hiring uh, a fourth person to get into the the mix now. And why was the right time for that? And how will the new position change the CHL moving forward? Well, I think first of all, uh, there was no real timetable other than Ron Robinson, Gil Corto, and myself for the last couple of years had really reached the conclusion that it was important to have a full-time, shall we say, CHL president. All three of us have been doing a number of activities, uh, files on behalf of the CHL. And with your regional league responsibilities, it can be challenging. So uh, we need full-time focus. And as well, uh, hey, there's a recognition that we have to take our game to the next level, you might say, and, and we need that type of person who can provide great leadership and uh, continue to build, expand, and grow the programs that we have in place on the ice and, and off the ice and uh, and really help uh, the player experience you know, continue to grow. Part of this will be taking some of that load off of your plate, correct? I mean, you've been doing that job for a long time already. I have, but I mean, without question, it's been a a, a real collective team effort where uh, Ron Robinson has been a huge help in certain areas, uh, Gilles Corto, others. Uh, we, you know, divided up some of the duties and responsibilities uh, because it's just gotten that big that one person can no longer do it along with juggling his regional league commissioner responsibilities. So it's welcomed. Uh, I'm really happy, personally and otherwise, and I think it's only right and good for the CHL in our game. Uh, when I had uh, Jill on last week, he told me he's, he's been in that position for four decades now. I had no idea it had been that long. How long have you uh, been in your role as uh, the commissioner of the Ontario Hockey League? Well, uh, <laughs> last this past season marked my 40th year, wow. quite frankly. And then I started wearing the uh, CHL hat in 1996. So uh, I like to tell people, Gabe, that as commissioner of the OHL, I actually came along when I, you know, and I was an underage commissioner. And, and that's why I, I've been here so long. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's a good line. Um, one of the, uh, the questions we have coming up, and I'll, I'll address a little bit more from a listener, uh, just the differences between the three leagues. One of them that stood out to me is actually not on the ice, but it's on the websites. The roster pages for uh, the OHL and the, and the WHL right now are pretty bare looking at next year's uh, uh, roster pages. Meanwhile, in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League's uh, website, it lists every player that every team uh, holds the rights to. Why the difference, and why not follow suit uh, in the OHL and the Dub? 
Well, you know what? I mean, it, these are areas that now, uh, you know, as regional leagues, we can compare notes and learn from each other. I think, first of all, uh, kudos goes to the Quebec League. I mean, they have been a leader in many respects in a number of areas, uh, not only winning Memorial Cups on the ice, but also mm-hmm. uh, things, as you described, with information pieces and their historical statistics and other things are you know, areas that uh, I know in Ontario we're now working to try and catch up and match and uh, duplicate. Is it important in your mind that there is more synergy through all three leagues, maybe not just in terms of rules, but the way that uh, the game is presented to fans and, and things like the roster pages is just one small example, but is it important to have more similarities between the three leagues than differences? I'm sure there will always be some differences, but... Would you like things to be a little bit more similar? That's our goal. That's our desire. Yes. And we've, you know, come a long way in many respects. And uh, we still have a ways to go. But when you look back at some of the things we've been able to develop uh, nationally and, and create those synergies, as you say, uh, that, that suggests to me that uh, we'll certainly continue to move in that direction. And uh, it's all for the benefit of our fans and, and others who watch our game. David Branch, the Commissioner of the Ontario Hockey League, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, all right, we've had a couple of softballs to start things up, but uh, let's get into a, a lot more of a, a serious one. Uh, hazing is back in the news. And a while back, Dan Carcillo talked about his experiences in your league in the early 2000s. I think Akeem Alou had uh, some things to say in that regard as well. Now an allegation in the queue made by Yaroslav Alexiev during his rookie season in Sherbrooke uh, three years ago. I'm sure you would agree that hazing is wrong, and I know all three leagues have a policy stating so, but clearly a policy hasn't been enough. In your opinion, who should be held accountable uh, in a situation like that? Is it ownership or coaches or individual players? And to what degree should that punishment be so that it's a deterrent uh, that it will never happen again? Because this it's just a, it's a black eye for the CHL when things like this come out. Yeah, I... Uh... There is zero tolerance. Uh, We all understand how offensive it is. It has no place in our game. I mean, as we were drilling down in this area as a league, and I'm talking about the Ontario Hockey League going back several years ago, I mean, we saw that the players don't want it. Uh, It was a real, real concern to families to see their son go away and, and possibly be subjected to some form of hazing. Uh, I think we recognize that, you know, there is value and even a degree of importance that there is some form of process to allow a young person to become uh, a member of a team, but it cannot in any way, uh, you know, be offensive to that player uh, physically or otherwise. So there is zero tolerance. I mean, uh, you know, you you can't really put the blame at the on the on the players. Uh, it has to start with management uh, of the team, even ownership. Um, what we've seen going back several years ago was the challenge to break the cycle, where you know some of the coaches or managers uh, who had played in our league said, "Well, I had to do it." You know, we went through it, we survived, etc. You know what? That that's old school. Uh, that doesn't work. 
uh, with uh, the values that we now have in place. And, and I really, truly believe we have broken the cycle uh, per se. And uh, we, we just can't let our foot off the gas pedal here. We must continue to push forward and make sure that there's a complete understanding uh, and educate our players as well. Uh, because sometimes players will get together and there is no coach or manager or team official around. But, hey, we've got to make sure they understand there has to be ownership uh, of this from top to bottom. When there is a penalty to be paid, I'm sure there's uh, each circumstance is, is different. But do you know what the penalty is? I, I mean, some of these charges could be cr- actually criminal, couldn't they? Well, it could very well be, yes. And, and I mean, I've always been an advocate that, you know what, uh, while we like to think we can handle discipline and uh, other duties around that, uh, I'm not in any way uh, concerned if someone should go outside our structure and, and seek some remedy mm-hmm. in their mind through the, through the courts, as an example. But... Uh, uh, it's just a case of education, making sure we have the right sanctions in place and demonstrate to the players, to the families in particular, that this is uh, not tolerated and we have zero tolerance. David, I've talked a lot about the uh, CHL scholarship package on this show over the over the years. Uh, there might be some people hearing this interview who aren't as familiar, so I'll ask you a general question about the scholarship package. My understanding one year of tuition uh, and books paid for for every year a player has played in the league. Now, I know there are some differences between the WHL, the Q, and the OHL's uh, scholarship packages. Uh, what are some of those differences, uh, especially from uh, the Ontario Hockey League's perspective? Yeah, what you described about uh, tuition and books for every year played, that's, that's a minimum uh, standard. Uh, every player is entitled to that. Uh, our teams uh, are allowed to have what we call seven, up to seven uh, players on what we term full rides. And full rides uh, is to include books, tuition, and room and board. So that's one of the key differences that we see here. And uh, largely, uh, I think the rest of our programs are, are the same. We do have some nuances in the OHL where you know, play one game and you get four years of your education guaranteed. Uh, play one year, you get two years of your education paid for. But that's all a negotiated process at the time that you're selected by an OHL team hmm. and the player and his family when his age sits down with our team and arrive at what they believe is in their best interest. Sounds like there's a lot more room for negotiating within the OHL structure than the, for the other two leagues. Uh, both uh, Jill Courteau and, and Ron Robinson basically said that's all it is: is you get a year for every year that you've played, and it doesn't matter if you're a first round pick, you know, by one team or a, a seventh rounder or a listed player by another team. Everybody gets the same deal. It sounds like there's a lot more options uh, for OHL teams and players. Well, we've been in the uh, area of providing scholarship financial support to our players uh, longer than any of the other leagues and uh, you know we've built out a program that we believe is second to none Uh, when I get back to the full rides uh, books tuition and room and board uh, it's mandatory that every first round selection in our annual priority selection process receives that as a benefit etc but uh, like I say we, we chose some I don't know, 15 years ago in particular, uh, 
to uh, invest in the player experience and uh, provide the best possible opportunity for a player and his family to have success, uh, once again, whether on the ice uh, or off the ice in the form of uh, scholarships. In this past year, we had uh, just over 340 players uh, utilizing their scholarship playing youth sport. Uh, it, it represented uh, almost $3.5 million um, in expenditures for scholarships last year by our teams alone. So it's a substantial, substantial investment. But we believe that is where our focus should be. And uh, and certainly we've got great support, particularly with families on that, that uh, they want to see their son have that opportunity. And I think the other thing that all three leagues do, which I think is key here, is that as we know, and I know as a parent of three boys, uh, everyone's different, and not everybody may want to go to university. Mm-hmm. Uh, some may want to go to colleges. Some may wish to go to a trade school or firefighters academy or police. Uh, policing is an opportunity for a career. So our scholarship program provides payment for all those things, and uh, it's very flexible, and uh, it, it really serves uh, the need in this area. Yeah, I, I really like that it's uh it's accessible or usable at a at a trade school, for instance. You don't ex- out here. It's you don't have to go to the University of Alberta. You can go to the uh, to Nate at a at trade school, and it's, it's it seems to be very flexible in that regard. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, getting back to the uh, the uh, you could so you can in the old way, Shelley, you can uh, give a player four full years of of education uh, benefits uh, for playing a single year. And and when can you actually when can the player receive those funds is it actually not until he goes to school or can he get that bonus up front uh, and does that open the door to issues when it comes to recruiting well i mean great point and no it's for education and uh our program uh, our scholarship programs are essentially administered through the league office uh we've developed a, uh, a process with all our universities across the country for that matter, but largely in Ontario and Atlantic Canada, where universities will invoice us, uh, et cetera, for the uh, particular player student involved, and we'll pay the university directly. All right. The uh, class action lawsuit against the CHL, where's that right now uh, in terms of uh, your perspective uh, overseeing the OHL? Well, I mean, uh, the illegal arena is left... uh, shall we say, to the experts, our lawyers and, and, and such. Obviously, we're kept uh, informed. Uh, it, uh, it's currently in the courts. Uh, it's following uh, the class action process, as they say, and uh, uh, it's, it's really difficult to know at what stage it may necessarily be at or, you know, how many more uh, years or whatever it may be before there's a... a a resolution. So we're just uh, following the lead and advice of our lawyers. There's not much we can say, obviously, because of the sensitivities of it being in the, in the courts, which we respect. And uh, I'm sure at the end of the day, the uh, there will be a, a positive decision. Uh, the WHL website has a big green, uh, fluorescent green banner at the top of it, outlining some of the details of the class action lawsuit. That's the only league that has that on it. Um, any particular reason, uh, like, is that a discussion that you've had with the WHL, with Ron Robinson about that, and and would the OHL follow suit? Yeah, we're we're compelled to really follow suit. I mean, um, what you refer to 
is information for players to understand what the lawsuit is, what it means, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the WHL is ahead of the other two leagues in terms of address uh, at a regional level. Uh, the, the class action was filed in, in Calgary, uh, Montreal, and Toronto uh, to cover off each of the three leagues. So, I mean... As we go through the process in Ontario, uh, we will ha- follow, uh, you know, the same route that the WHL has and then Quebec as well. So it's, it's just all part of the timing uh, regionally and otherwise in the lawsuit. Now, as you mentioned, this could continue to drag on for years and years and years still uh, before there is uh, any sort of resolution. I wonder, could a resolution be ex- as simple as extending the access to the CHL scholarship? Not indefinitely. I, I'm not aware of any scholarship in existence that can be used 10 or 20 years after a student qualified for it. But could you extend the uh, the scholarship uh, availability to match the duration of, say, an entry-level contract so a player would have up to three years to evaluate his chances of advancing his, his professional career and then decide whether or not he's going to uh, use the scholarship package. Just I mean, right now, it's eighteen months. Could you push it another eighteen months to make it uh, three years, and and would that be enough? Do you think to satisfy people? Yeah, I'm not certain that the uh, class action lawsuit, uh, the basis of it, is on uh, when a player can, in fact, or must, in fact, uh, access his scholarship. First of all, uh, the eighteen month rule is a little misleading. That's for overage players which were only allowed three per team. All other junior age players are allowed 30 months. So, I mean, uh, that area, uh, that particular part of the scholarship program, you know, we're always tweaking our programs Mm -hmm. and making the adjustments that we feel are necessary. Uh, We have no plans to make any change right now, but who knows what may happen going forward, Gabe? All right. Uh, let's uh, change the subject a bit. Uh, Patrick Johnson's a writer in uh, BC, writes for the Vancouver province. Uh, recently, he wrote a story about that the 40-year-old NHL-CHL agreement is, as he quotes, or I'll quote from him, uh, putting major junior draftees behind their peers in terms of long-term development. The argument he makes is that being that it's a, a huge advantage for players drafted outside of the CHL, whether they're Europeans or USHL guys or even CJHL players, uh, because they have the potential of playing in the AHL at 19. In your opinion, does the NHL-CHL agreement need to be reworked to address that or in any other aspects that are currently within it? I mean, it is a, a 40-year-old agreement. Well, it's not really a 40-year-old agreement. I mean, the terms over the years have changed substantially okay. from 40 years ago. You know, <clears throat> So uh, I'm not sure that I would necessarily say that it's a 40-year-old gre- agreement that's been in place uh, unaltered. Um, we are reaching a point where we're looking at and have started even to uh, look at the agreement going forward with the National Hockey League. We are the number one provider of players to the NHL and, and to minor pro hockey. Um, I mean, this agreement is uh, developed through discussion and mutual agreement by NHL people and uh, CHL people. And it's through that process that we've been able to arrive at what is the best conditions and terms for everyone, uh, the NHL teams, the CHL teams, and the players. So as we go through this, uh, there's no question that uh, one of the uh, 
thoughts that have been advanced that 19-year-old drafted players can play in the American Hockey League, hey, that's something we'll, we'll discuss and see. And I'm sure at the end of the day that collectively, once again, the NHL and the CHL will do what's best for everyone involved. All right, let's get to some of the uh, fan-submitted questions. Uh, one, this one's pretty simple. How about U.S. expansion to New York, please? That from uh, a fan. I know you have three U.S.-based franchises, uh, not one in New York, in the state of New York, though. Uh, is that ever a, a spot that you've looked at? And I know, I think I'm, I'm guessing 20 teams is where you're comfortable. But if there happened to be a relocation uh, in uh, down the road, could New York be a place you'd like to go? Uh, definitely. I mean. Uh... New York State borders uh, the province of Ontario, where 17 of our teams currently reside. Um, we've had great success uh, uh, drafting and recruiting players from New York State. Uh, you know, youth hockey, as they refer to it in the U.S. marketplace, is continuing continuing to grow and evolve. So, you know what? I, I, I think your, your point is well taken, uh, or you're the, the fan that wrote in. And uh, it's something that uh, we have looked at and will continue to look at going forward. But you're comfortable with 20 teams, correct? Well, I mean, uh, we are. I mean, one of the things that we have seen is that uh, you've got to ensure that your player talent pool will sustain uh, the necessary level of competition Mm -hmm. and quality of play uh, within your league. We have a very sophisticated, in our view, fan base. You can't prove it. You can't disguise it. So 20 teams, we feel, has worked very well. That's not to say we won't look at expansion going forward, but currently uh, we have no desire or design to uh, to look at expansion. Uh, the comment you made, Guy, is that uh, New York State, in our view, presents an opportunity if we have a franchise that possibly, for various reasons, uh, is got some challenges and issues and we have to look to relocation all right let's move on to uh, the online package to watching uh, ohl games and in fact the entire canadian hockey league could you see i mean as evolution and technology uh, helps the 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 broadcasting uh, evolve um, could you see a time when uh, all three leagues are maybe included in, in a single chl package i'd like to watch games from all three leagues rather than buying three packages uh, could there be a day where i just buy a chl package to watch online games that makes perfect sense, and and that's uh, something that we're currently looking at. Uh, we're going through a process here where in another year uh, we will be looking at, uh, with all three leagues coming out of their regional arrangements, uh, mm-hmm. by way of contracts with a provider, uh, we'll look at uh, other uh, forms, and, and uh, we've got some RFPs out there, and, and that's one of the uh, important areas on our hit list is how we can uh, streamline our packages to allow fans from right across the country to have access regardless of league, and we see that now at the Memorial Cup key. It's it's fantastic the number of people annually that come to the Memorial Cup mm-hmm. uh, from all across the country. So there's that. And the other one we have to work on, part of that is the price point. Our, our our online streaming right now is far too expensive, and it's not consumer-friendly. So there's uh, things there that we've got to, to look at as well. So uh, I think our fans will see a, a whole new face in that area, uh, hopefully as early as not this coming playing season, but the following playing season. 
Thank you for addressing that. That was uh, on the list of questions as well. A lot of people uh, wanted me to ask about the uh, the price point for sure. Sean wants to know if you're aware of a broadcast problem for games originating uh, from Flint uh, and if there is something that being done specifically to fix the broadcast from that venue. Was there some issues with that last year? We've had issues, uh, Flint being one, yes, um, and we've been addressing it. I know our, our teams have... Uh, invested heavily to get the necessary equipment so as to facilitate the feed from Flint into Ontario markets and, and elsewhere. So uh, the technology is ever improving, and uh, I think as the Flint franchise improves on the ice, they clearly understand the added burden of responsibility to make sure their broadcasts uh you know, are of such a quality that it helps them in terms of the presentation, not only of the product, but their community, their team, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Chad asks, has your crackdown of fighting produced the desired results? Have there been unforeseen consequences such as increased stick infractions? And I would follow that up just based on, I think the OHL and, and yourself deserve a lot of credit. I think you've kind of spearheaded the, the movement to try to get uh, head hits out of the game as much as possible. I wonder if fighting, if there's really a role for fighting anymore, either uh, considering what we know now about concussions. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, as an OHL, we were the very first league at any level to say there is no such thing as a legal hit to the head. And, boy, people were saying, going to ruin the game, take hitting out of the game, you know, on and on and on. Uh, because the one thing we know in our great game of hockey um there's always been, uh, not as strong now, but uh, there's always been concern about change. Uh, that's been a very, very positive development for us. And then the fighting aspect as we basically, you know, sent out messages about six years ago about, you know, putting some caps on the number of fights you may have, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the interesting thing is that as we did our analytics, you know, uh, 70% of the players uh, never have a fight, you know, and then of the 30% that do fight, about uh, 5% do all the fighting. So we put in measures that would result in suspensions when you reached uh, so many uh, fighting threshold, and it really has caused our fighting to plummet, and uh, our fans uh, have really embraced it because the other part of it is it's enabled us to recruit the, even with more success, the skilled player. And the player uh, enjoys it. Uh, the families appreciate it. And uh, we see, you know, in the National Hockey League has been real, I think, positive leaders in this area. When you look at the style of play and the speed of the game and the importance and stress on speed and skill and strength, and uh, we're, we're just trying to work in that direction as well. Uh, we've got the greatest game in the world based on speed and skill. We don't need fighting. And uh, the day will come where fighting, uh, I, I liken it to smoking. Uh, smoking is socially unacceptable. Well, you know what? Fighting is quickly becoming socially unacceptable. Well, you'll still have to sell a lot of fans on that. And, uh, you know, I've recently come around. I think I've evolved as uh, the, maybe the sport has as well, and I agree with you. I, I wouldn't miss it if uh, if fighting was out of the game. When it happens, I know everybody gets uh, fired up about it, but um, I think uh, there are reasons uh, not to have it. Uh, now, Chad's original question was, have there been unforeseen 
consequences. Have you seen a, a rise in stick infractions or anything like that? No, we haven't. Our analytics do not support that. And okay. uh, that was an area that we were uh, concerned about and, and put focus on and work with our officials and our teams and players to make sure that uh, we did not have any unintended, uh, shall we say, consequence of, of some of the new rules. But it's worked out extremely well. All right, just a few more questions from the fans, if uh, if you have the time. Lucas wants to know, how close of an eye is the league brass keeping on Hamilton's uh, arena situation? Uh, issues with uh, cops or whatever it's called now? Well, yeah, First Ontario Place, and it's a 17,000-seat facility approximately, um, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I, I just think that uh, we all have seen over the years uh, that – uh, it's nice to have a facility that's a little bit more intimate uh, and more conducive to spectator support at our level. Uh, at any rate, uh, we keep an eye on it because the owner, Michael Anlauer, uh, is constantly uh, updating uh, the league on where he's at, uh, where this city's at. It's a huge, huge piece uh, to uh, a community, to a team. Uh, for a variety of reasons. And so uh, to answer the question, there is regular contact. And uh, we uh, appreciate all the efforts and work that uh, the Bulldogs are currently doing in that community. Johnny asks, will there be any changes to the overage goalie situation? I've heard overage goalies may know may not count against the three overage uh, player limit. I'd follow that up with uh, import players too when it comes to the overage player count. Can you tinker with uh, either goalies or or imports uh, not counting against the overage uh, players? Well, you know, once again, I, I mean, those are great comments, thoughts, and uh, we did look very seriously at the overage goalie not counting in the overall total number of three that a team is, requir- uh, is allowed. Um, we... We chose not to go forward. We did. We weren't sure. We wanted to study it a little bit further. Um, I believe there's strong merit to it. I think goaltending is one position where the development process it can either be a little bit slower or more games, more time is needed to to reach a certain level of proficiency to get to the next level, as they say in professional hockey, etc. So we'll continue to look at that. Uh, the import players, uh, uh, that is not something we've discussed in terms of not counting if they, if you have an overage import player. Um, I also happen to believe that um, we must continue to serve and provide the most in opportunities we can to the North American player. Yeah. So uh, protect that piece for North Americans right now certainly is the approach we've taken. The Wildcats podcast out of Moncton uh, has submitted a question. They want to know if the OHL would consider following the queue in terms of the draft, uh, just the ceremony of the draft, and having more of a an NHL-style event with the kids going up on stage and pulling on jerseys, that, that sort of thing. Uh, a lot more tamer uh, for the OHL and the WHL in comparison. Yeah, we used to do a live draft, and, uh, oh gosh, it might be 15 years ago, we went to what we called an online draft. Okay. Uh, the benefits that we saw was that each team would have their own war room. At the draft, you're arguably, it's your most important day uh, for your franchise as you select your future. So we wanted to create a business-like atmosphere 
um, and uh, conducive to making such important decisions. Uh, secondly, uh, we found that players that were present for a live draft and weren't selected, that was a very challenging, difficult day. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to respect that from a standpoint of not putting them in a position where, you know, it was embarrassing or whatever the case may be. And then the other part of the way we currently do the draft is that what uh, our teams do is instead of all the players coming to one central location, uh, we have the selected players go to this location of their of the team that selected them, uh, either on the day of the draft or the next day for proper introduction and uh, and the like. So there's different ways to look at it, um, and uh, I'm not going to. Uh, deny that the pomp and circumstance that you see with the Q draft is exciting, is impressive. Uh, however, uh, we put our value system in different places. All right, just two questions left. Uh, one of them is uh, kind of touched on it a little bit uh, at the start. Paul wants to know if there's a desire among the three leagues to be more uniform, uniform in terms of rules on and off the ice. You got trade windows in the queue and in the OHL you can't trade a first round uh, selection uh, in the WHL it's a 15 year old Bantam draft which uh, drives me crazy but uh, overall is there a, a desire to, to become more uniform across all three leagues? Well I think on one hand y- yes we would but on the other hand we all recognize we've got a you know a, a large country <laughs> geographically yeah. and otherwise and, and when you look at the Quebec situation with trade windows and the like, that is driven by their school system in the province of Quebec, which is unique compared to the other Canadian provinces where uh, they go to school for six weeks blocks, shall we say, uh, of, of taking one or two courses. And, and they are not allowed to trade during that period because of the academic uh, focus and workload. And then when there's a, uh, a the end of a block, they create a trade window, etc. So, I mean, we respect that. It's a good system, I would suggest, for the student-athlete. But uh, there will always be, in many respects, I think, certain nuances uh, to go with the regional views and attitudes and conditions that uh, are certainly uh, prevalent in our great country. Last question, uh, the uh, OHL hosting the 2021 Memorial Cup, and Steve wants to know if any teams have actually told the league that they have intentions of bidding on uh, that host job. Uh, anywhere yet, any progress in terms of uh, hosting the 2021 Memorial Cup? Well, we haven't commenced the process yet of considering applications and inviting applications, but I, I, I am aware from discussions that uh, there's certainly more than one team that uh, – is desirous to host uh, the Memorial Cup. Uh, it's an, always an exciting time, and uh, we'll be starting that process uh, during the latter part of August. So we'll uh, we'll see how that starts to roll out for all of us. David, you've been uh, extremely generous with your time today. I really appreciate you making time uh, once again for the Pipeline Show. I hope we can do it again down the road. Hey, thank you. We'd welcome the opportunity. Thanks, Steve. The Commissioner of the Ontario Hockey League, David Branch, uh, was my guest. And uh, thanks to all of you who submitted questions for Mr. Branch. as uh, He didn't duck any of them, and I appreciate when he comes on the show that he doesn't uh, do that. And uh, there were some things there I wasn't aware of. Uh, I didn't know there were that many differences between the scholarship package in the OHL than there was in the Q and the WHL. I'll be honest, I kind of wish it was 
fairly straightforward. You get a year for every year you played. When you open it up to negotiation, where it's where he said a team can have seven guys who are on what he called full ride scholarship programs. I know. I guess on the surface, just to me, it, it seems like it opens up the door to problems. I'd like to see that a little bit more. Maybe simplified might be the right word. Make it just cut and dried. But as you mentioned, the OHL's been uh, doing it, uh, maybe even longer than the WHL and the Q have, and it could be just one of those differences between the three leagues. It, as you mentioned, it's a big country, you know, and outside of the world of hockey, just politically and, and things like that, the, the differences across the country are massive. Heck, even the differences politically just out here in the West, from BC to Alberta to Saskatchewan, Manitoba, there are big differences between each province, uh, let alone, you know, in Ontario and the queue and in Quebec, rather, and uh, out in the Maritimes. When it comes to hockey, there's going to be differences, too. And maybe we just have to live with some of those differences, even though I think on the surface, yeah, it'd be great if everything was exactly the same across the country. That just might not be feasible. So we might have to get used to some of those differences just being uh, facts of life. Still would like to see the WHL have a 16-year-old draft instead of uh, a Bantam draft. Uh, That would match the OHL and the Q. I kind of understand why in the OHL you can't trade first-round picks. But that whole trade window situation in, in the queue, as David mentioned, and uh, as Jill Corteau mentioned the last week, it's just a fact of life there with uh, the with the way things are set up uh, through the education system in, in Quebec, and that's just the way things are. Anyway, really appreciated uh, his time and uh, his contribution to the Pipeline Show this week and lots of ground that we covered. If you want to throw some feedback into what you heard, you can. You can hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. And there were a number of you who did submit questions, and I think I addressed every question that was submitted, so uh, by actual fans, that is. And I appreciate uh, you continuing to do that. That will wrap up this week's show. Next week, the scheduled guest that I have so far is Kim Davis, the commish of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. I do have invitations out. As I mentioned, Tom Garrity from the USHL was supposed to join me uh, for this week's show. Uh, I have uh, requests out to Larry Martell of the... Uh, KIJHL, the uh, Junior B League in uh, BC, as well as uh, Mark Frankenfeld, uh, the President and Commissioner of the uh, North American Hockey League. And I will be sending out requests uh, for both the Atlantic Hockey and the NCHC conferences of the NCAA next week and the week after the last two shows of Season 14. Then I take a week off, come back. The start of Season 15 will be in the middle of August. And uh, starting that week, we'll get into the WHL team previews and a look in on what's happening with the Holinka Gretzky Cup, the uh, summer U20 camps, the showcases ahead of the uh, World Junior Championship. So uh, lots of actual hockey on the ice to talk about uh, starting in August uh, with the debut of Season 15. Uh, But two more shows left to go here in Season 14. And we'll continue with the Ask the Commish segments as much as we can. Again, only one guaranteed guest, or at least so far, Uh, for next week, Kim Davis of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. If you have uh, requests, you can always send those in to me as well on Twitter, at TPS underscore Gee. That does it, though. Until next week, everybody, get out and enjoy some summer. We'll chat some hockey next week here on the Pipeline Show. See ya.